Hello, good morning. Um, yeah, thanks, Gav. Um, like Gavin said, if you're new here today, then um, let us extend an especially warm welcome to you today. Um, if you are relatively new and are wondering who is Emma Blasting, I've never heard of her. Hello, I'm Emma. Um, I've been part of this Vineyard Church for about... 13, 14 years now, and um, I've had the pleasure of playing a, albeit small, part of the staff team here for the past, uh, past few years. My role is very much behind the scenes. I'm hidden in the office. I do not make appearances up front on the stage like this. So um, this is certainly something new for me. Um, and like Mark introduced last week, uh, I'm going to be trying to address the topic of forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, so a nice, uh, small, easy, light-hearted <laughs> subject uh, for my first talk. Um, yeah, so if you were here last week, you would have heard Mark introduced a new talk series around the subject of love. And he kind of outlined what he believed or how he believed the Holy Spirit was prompting him um, uh, to address uh, or what to address through this talk series. And that is essentially um, to differentiate and identify uh, the ways, the nature and characteristics of God's love and how that is different to the love that this more transient world perhaps offers and defines love it as. And uh, he quoted something Jesus said, which is always a good place to start, um, from the Gospel of Matthew when talking about future generations. And um, he was talking about how there was going to be sort of division and separation in, in future generations. And he used this particular term that the love of many was going to grow cold. And he unpacked more about that um, in his talk. So if you haven't heard that, then do you know, catch up through our website or app or you watch the full service on our, on our YouTube channel. Um, so it's pretty obvious then, um, if you want to follow Jesus and if you want to resist your love from growing cold, and if you want to avoid becoming, or if we want to avoid becoming that generation, then at some point we're going to have to address um, the challenge, perhaps, maybe I'd call it the challenge that forgiveness and reconciliation present. Um, one reason I think I suspect Mark asked me um, to do this talk is really off the back of a handful of conversations that we've had over the past two, three years. And these have mostly been around my personal observation that I, I don't think I've actually heard that many talks um, over my Christian life about forgiveness. Uh, I've heard it referenced uh, in sermons, certainly talked about, but um, I mean, as far as I can remember, I don't think I've actually heard a talk exclusively sort of around forgiveness. I've, maybe I've missed them all. But I've always found that really, really perplexing that we don't have more conversations around it. Um, because, I mean, as, as, as far as I understand the gospel, forgiveness and reconciliation, they're pretty, pretty fundamental, right? Um, what is the gospel? Possibly the most quoted verse of the New Testament is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. You know, the gospel tells us that Jesus came into the world to be crucified, you know, to be this perfect sacrifice through which God could forgive us of our, our sin, our, our 
offences and to save us from his rightful retribution or what Paul referred to it when he wrote to the Thessalonian churches, having rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So if forgiveness is elementary to the gospel that we profess, we believe in, and we're to tell everyone that we meet about it, then we would do well to pay attention to this, right? To um, observing it, to absorbing it, to, to making a habitual practice of it. Because if we're not adopting this as a necessity, then you know, can we really be surprised when, when the gospel that we preach falls on deaf ears? You know, are, are people seeing a church that is preaching about forgiveness, is, is preaching about their need for forgiveness, but isn't contritely observing it and embodying it, you know, with reverence in our own lives? Are we, as Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy, are we people holding on to the outward form of God but denying its power? Could the church be emptying the gospel of its power through failing to respond to the daily call to pick up our cross and forgive? Well, these are the questions that I believe God has been leading me over the past few years, and I'm just delighted this morning to be able to to pass uh, these questions on to you. You know, you only have to um, read the Gospels to find a library of quotes from Jesus commanding us to forgive, right? You know, um, when teaching his disciples how to pray, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And he goes on to say, but if you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. You know, or when, um, when Jesus talked about offering God a gift or even just praying to the father, he said, you know, if you remember... You've got something against your brother or sister. Stop. Forgive. Go and be reconciled. Then then come back and continue so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Sermon on the Mount. Saying how the merciful will receive mercy. Parable of the unmerciful servant. However... (laughs) I think there's a, um, there can be a problem when quoting these commands per se. And what I mean by that is, if we respond to this without, un- if we respond to these commands without understanding, um, understanding what forgiveness is and what we're actually doing when we forgive, I think the command to forgive can risk becoming a kind of almost negotiation. You know, I don't want to jeopardise the risk of my slate not being wiped clean. So, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll do that just to secure my forgiveness. And, and like I said, when, when, when these commands are read without a full understanding of what forgiveness is, it, they can risk becoming uh, more of a, a transaction rather than a sacrifice. Um, and that is... That's the message I believe I'm to give this morning, is to address what I would describe as the sacrificial nature of forgiveness. The sacrificial nature of forgiveness. So when I've heard stories about forgiveness or people's own um, experiences of forgiving, um, I very often hear what I would term the mental health benefits of forgiving. You know, it's, it's going to set you free, it's going to liberate you, um, uh, who's heard that saying, resentment is like drinking poison, but expecting the other person to die? Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's absolutely true. It's 100% true. There's nothing I would disagree with that. God wants us to live free from hatred. You know, hate is, is a force. It is hard to control. It's hard to contain. You know, just a few seeds of hatred, it, it can reap a harvest of sorrow. God wants us to live free from bitterness. Bitterness, it's a poison. It will poison your heart. It will poison your memories so that you can't perceive good things. You won't be able to perceive good things and therefore receive them. So absolutely, um, forgiveness, sincere forgiveness, it frees, it delivers the heart, it delivers the soul to live a, a, a freer, unfettered, fuller life that is, that is able to receive good things. However... What, what I want us to do today is I just, want, I just want to back up a bit because before we forgive and experience the benefits, you know, we reap the benefits of forgiveness, I want us to ask ourselves, you know, what are we actually doing when we forgive? I always find a good place to start is identifying what we're not doing when, forgi- when we forgive. You know, I've heard people say before that if I, if I forgive them, what I'm saying is, it didn't matter, that what they did didn't matter. If I forgive someone, then they get off scot-free. You know, perhaps you think that forgiving someone will mean that your pain, your suffering, no longer has any value, no longer has any meaning. You know, it, for some people, it's easier just to withdraw from a relationship rather than let go of that hurt. You know, and for some people, it's actually easier to withdraw from a relationship than to confront that person about what they did to them, or even to admit to yourself that what they did to you was painful and it has impacted you. But to forgive is not saying, it is not to say it doesn't matter. On the contrary, if we're to take the gospel message as our framework... The scriptures never say it doesn't matter. But what the gospel says is it matters. Every single wrongdoing, every single offence, they all count. Uh, The letter of James puts it really well. He says, um, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. And, And similarly in Romans, it says there's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short. So every sin, even if it's just one small sin, they all count, they all require God's sacrificial forgiveness. For God sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Jesus was incarnated into the world to die on a cross in regard to every person for every act of hostility, for every offence, because they all mattered. So the first thing we can learn from the gospel about forgiveness is every offence requires forgiveness. What's the next thing we can learn from the gospel about forgiveness? Every act of forgiveness has a price. Forgiveness is free for the offender. It is not free for the victim. To say that again, forgiveness is free for the offender. 
It is not free for the victim. Think about it. It costs God his own son, right? We perpetrate against God. We offend him. We hurt him. It follows that we should be bringing... We're the guilty party, right? We should be bringing an offering to ask for forgiveness. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God brought something, the, the innocent party, it costs the innocent party something to forgive the guilty party, right? So, first of all, that's utterly backwards. <laughs> um, but similarly, so when, when we choose to forgive, we, in fact, we pay a kind of penalty. You know, I'm sure everyone here has heard the saying, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yeah, well, that actually comes from the book of Leviticus in the Bible, um, a delightfully long and non-boring book that outlines the, the laws God, God gives his first people when they first started to follow him. Uh, and it helped to find what justice looks like. Uh, and this is famously quoted because it, it very plainly summarised this sense of rebalancing the scales, the, the, this sense of, you know, justice. But the Apostle Paul says to the early church in Romans, he says, do not take revenge but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. So to forgive involves us letting go of our right to rebalance the scales. Not seeking revenge is not to say that person isn't going to face punishment, but what we're doing to forgive involves you letting go of your right and handing the power over to God to administer retribution as he sees fit, as he chooses. So again, to forgive is going to cost us our right to retribution. And if that wasn't enough, then I have some more wonderful news. Um, It's going to cost you more. Not only is it going to cost you your right to retribution, but it's going to cost you your right to accuse that person. Colossians sums it up beautifully. It says that when God forgave us, he said he cancelled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And Hebrews also speaks of God choosing to forgive them. He says, I will never again remember their sins. So when we forgive, when you forgive, what you're doing is you're cancelling your record of charges against that person. So you, you can't stand justified against them in, anymore because you no longer have a story to tell about how they've wronged you. You know, Artie Kendall, who pastored uh, Westminster, Westminster Chapel for 25 years, and he's actually written books on forgiveness. He says, if you've truly forgiven someone, he said, you won't talk about the offence again. He said, you won't tell other people about what they did to you but you'll set them free for other people to think well of them. (laughs) At this point, I want to tell RT to get off the stage. (laughs) But yeah, ouch. Now, I recently heard um, someone describe forgiveness as burying the hatchet and not marking the spot. You know, I I think a lot of us can bury the hatchet, but I think not marking the spot is probably more of the challenge. So returning to... Excuse me, returning to my original question, you know, what are we doing when we forgive? Essentially, we are forfeiting. We are forfeiting our right 
to stand vindicated and we are forfeiting our right for retribution. And these are sacrifices. They are sacrifices that we make, that we lay down. And what do we all know about sacrifice? It's, pa it's painful, right? It is painful. You know, someone I know, um, they work in a prayer and healing ministry, and they once said to me, they said, Emmy, you know, so many Christians that I pray with, they will happily skip right around that cross on their way to eternal life, which I always find quite an amusing image. But what they, what they meant by that is that you, we can't forgive without confronting pain. We can't forgive without confronting some sort of pain, whether or not that's our own pain, you know, maybe um, with hindsight, now you've been able to see how what's been done to you, how it's gone on to impact your life, how it's impacted the choices, the decisions that you've gone on to make. Maybe it's impacted your uh, capacity to love or to build or to sustain relationships. Or perhaps you want to avoid facing the fact that you have been the cause of suffering in others. But you know, the gospel, we know from the gospel that the only way into freedom, the only way to enter into the transformed life that God offers us is through the pain and the suffering of the cross. That Colossian verse again, again, um, he cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The cross is the place where we are all called to nail our stories to. And the cross is the place that we're all called to nail our rights to. So in summary, forgiveness, forgiveness can be painful. Really hope I'm, really hope I'm successfully communicating this wonderful message of, of, of pain and suffering. But there, there is an intensely personal penalty that we pay when we forgive and, and this is why I'm talking about it being a sacrificial act you know um, forgiveness has a very sacrificial nature to it it's it's not like sacrificing our time and our money you know we talk here at Vineyard about sacrificing our time and our money to serve others you know on a Sunday or during the week or in our communities or our neighborhood or wherever but you know the sacrifice of forgiveness is, is, is a different beast isn't it it's a different beast. It's something much more deeply seated and more precious to us. So, I will start to draw this to an end, but um, as I do, I must say something about reconciliation. This could be a whole talk within itself. Um, I just simply don't have time to address it this morning. Um, but I want to hear, I just want to acknowledge that reconciliation is always going to be inextricably linked to forgiveness. Having said that, at the same time, I also want to recognise that not all acts of forgiveness are going to automatically lead to reconciliation, at least in this life. You know, there are some very obvious occasions, uh, at least in my mind, um, where it's going to be safer and healthier to remain outside of relationship um, some more extreme examples to me would be of, you know, maybe abusive or controlling relationships. Um, you guys would have heard last month in the news uh, the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse within UK religious groups. 
Uh, they described how groups had morally failed children. Um, they gave examples of how leaders had used guilt and in some cases misused the call to forgive to prevent or dissuade children from reporting allegations. Um, so I'm not about to put a blanket statement out there saying, you know, if you forgive, you must reconcile. You know, the only fruit of forgiveness is, is reconciliation. I recognise that there, there are always going to be nuances, right, in this life. All I'll say here, all I want to say here is, you know forgiveness wasn't God's end goal, right? Jesus didn't, you know, die on a cross, die for our sins, become the perfect sacrifice, then, then God just left Jesus in the grave, yeah, in our place. That's, that's, that's not the story. What happened when Jesus died? God raised him from the dead, right? God raised him from the dead. Why did God raise him from the dead? I mean, after all, he paid for our sins, he paid for our forgiveness. God didn't, God didn't say, right, I've, I, well, I've raised Jesus from the dead because I really like him and the deaf can, can keep him. But uh, you guys, your sins have been forgiven, so when it comes to the end of this life, we're done. We're, we're quits, yeah? That's not the rest of the story. If you read anywhere in the New Testament, it will give you an idea of the reconciliation that God had always intended had always desired with us. Um, in Ephesians, it said, God gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. He raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. So it was always God's will. It was always God's desire for us to be reconciled with him and with one another through Jesus's resurrection. In Colossians, it tells us Jesus, he's the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn, which would indicate that God was intending for others to follow, right? Otherwise, it would say Jesus was the only born from the dead. He was meant to be the first of many. Through, through, for through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You know, it was God's desire to reconcile with us to such a degree that he, was, he went to the lengths of adopting us as his own flesh and blood. You know, and with that, he gave us a share in the inheritance. He gave us a promise to reign with him um, in a future life, uh, in, in the future life, in the future. Um, if the visuals can just throw up the two Roman quotes, so people know I'm not lying about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so forgiveness was never the end goal. Forgiveness was never the end goal. Reconciliation with God and with one another, that was always the end goal. That was always the end game. Forgiveness was just the gift. Forgiveness was just a gift to enable us to, to get to that place, to get to the place God was calling us to. Right? Forgiveness, forgiveness is the key, it's the door, it's the narrow gate, it's the narrow road we walk along as we journey towards reconciliation and communion with God and with one another. 
You know, Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthian church about how, how God has entrusted us with the message and the ministry of reconciliation. God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So if this is true, then it would be prudent of us to um, ask ourselves, you know, how, how are we carrying how are we carrying this, this message, this ministry? How are we responding to it in our lives today? Um, Richard, should I ask for the... Okay, Ben, okay, no, okay, fine. Um, so to conclude, what, what is God inviting us to today? I believe that God is inviting us always to be with and to become like Jesus. I believe God is inviting us to experience this sacrificial act of forgiving others to a greater degree than we have done. I believe God is inviting us to experience the same sacrificial act that Jesus carried in his body into his death. You know, Jesus said so himself, he said, if you, um, if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. You just, you're just not going to be able to, to follow me into the places that I'm going. So if you want to respond to that, if you want to follow Jesus today, if you want to, like Paul, if you want to share in his sufferings so that you can share it in his life, if your heart's prayer is like John's for Jesus to become greater and for you to become less, if you want to lose your life, if you want to start dying to self, if you want to carry your cross, then I have some wonderful, wonderful news for you today. Because the way is open. The way is open. What a better way than to pick up your cross than to start observing forgiveness and reconciliation and start adopting this practice of sacrifice in our, in our daily life, right? Because I, I really believe that as we come to understand and experience forgiveness ourselves, I, I do believe it's going to unlock the mystery and the power of the gospel in us in a deeper way. You know, I really believe that we are going to come to understand the strength, the strength of God's love for us in an increased measure. And as such, we are going to be more able, more whole, to be able to love others more perfectly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only beloved, cherished son, that whoever believes and puts their trust in him wouldn't be lost but instead would be found and receive an inheritance of a new and eternal life. Thank you. <laughs> okay.